So praise the Lord. We're in, going to let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. What I want to speak about today is seated far above. That's really been the theme, I think, that, that we've started with. And um, I believe that's what came through in our tongues interpretation. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 1, which has really been in my heart this week. Okay, and we'll read into where I want to go with this. But a lot of this is going to just basically be uh, adding on to what Bert and myself and others have been bringing um, for the, you know, really, uh, the past few months. Really, since we started the gather. Amen. We have to have a different mindset to have different results. If you want different results, you know, I've been a Christian now for decades, and there's been a lot of praying for revival, okay? But I believe there's something we're not connecting with. And a lot of it is what Bert's been teaching, and it's because we're begging for it, and we're not understanding that the days of begging for revival are over. Because I'll tell you what you'll get, you'll get a revival that will peter out, just like I was speaking about with the fisher folk and all these different things, right? You'll get a move of God. You might just get it in your church or locally, or it might spread. You know, if you remember back in the 90s, the, the Toronto and all the laughing revival and, and so on. And we, Stevie and I, speak about that. And we've seen how a lot of people, oh, that, this is amazing. But well, we had all that in the apostolic. You know, people would have holy laughter, we used to call it. I like holy laughter a whole lot better as a term. But anyway... But you, you, we don't want a revival that will fizzle out. We want a move of God that will just keep getting stronger and more intense and, and go viral and spread. I believe that's what was meant to happen in the early church. And I believe that's what was meant to happen in the Pentecostal outpouring at the beginning of the 20th century. But it's not happened. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into it. But let's just read this scripture. Wherefore, verse 15, Ephesians 1, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let me tell you what everybody in this room needs today. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Not head knowledge, not book knowledge. Listen, there's great books back there. Help yourselves to them. But the point being, if it's just, oh, I need to know more about God, so I'm going to read about him. And you get people that end up, I could, they could tell you every plant in the Bible, every animal in the Bible, and all the, all the intellectual data. But it's not intellectual knowledge of him, it's revelation knowledge. It's not information, it's impartation. What do you leave a meeting with? What has been imparted to you in that meeting? It's not, well, oh, I, I learned a few things today. I learned about, you know, some knowledge that someone imparted to you. No, 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 no. What has been imparted to you by the Spirit of God? I don't understand people that would go to a church where there's no Holy Ghost activity. You know, I love when I hear the tongues coming because that's Holy Ghost. I, we're, we're Holy Ghost people, folks. 
Amen. You know, we've got somebody recently joined the church and, and you know, she goes on and on about the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful, isn't it? And there's, a, there's an old legend here. And, and actually, Muriel, uh, she's seen it. But there used to be a, a dove would come and sit in that window when the preaching of the word was happening. You may not expect that at this place, you know. Um, but, you know, um, well, let me just, uh, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I was going to go into detail there. I won't because I've got a lot to get across. But the Holy Ghost is what we're about here. Amen. We are Holy Ghost people. So he says, Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We're not here to teach knowledge of the Bible. It's the same thing at Bible college. Good to see another Bible college here today. We're there to impart something of God, not give you information, okay? So that, that there's an enlightenment, an impartation of revelation. And so, and, and it's the same in all our services, all our meetings here. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, work who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? We just sang that wonderful chorus. It's an old chorus now, I suppose, for I'm building a people of power. We're not a powerless people. We're not a weak, helpless, defenseless, or holding on till Jesus is coming people. We're a people of power. We're an advancing people. You know that old hymn, onward Christian soldiers, not backward Christian soldiers. We're not retreating. The language when it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the ecclesia is not speaking about we're in a defensive posture and holding out against the gates of hell. It's saying the opposite. The gates of hell are being trampled over by God's ecclesia people. Amen. Your job is to be a devil stomper. Uh, right. But she wrote in Christ, watch this, when he raised him from the dead. You know, I'm going to say this to you. There's a Christianity that rejoices in Jesus being raised from the dead. Every one of us is part of that. But there's a Christianity that leaves him raised from the dead. That makes sense. Okay? Because he didn't just raise him from the dead, from the tomb. He raised him to somewhere. Okay? And a lot of us, a lot of us relate to a crucified Jesus. And a lot of us go beyond that and relate to a resurrected Jesus. Oh, he rose from the dead. Oh, he is risen. But we don't, a lot of us don't, and we should relate to an ascended and glorified Jesus. The Jesus that you have to do with is not the man that walked the shores of Galilee. It's not the man that was sleeping in the back of the boat. It's not the man that was tired and weary. You are now relating to the Jesus who is seated far above. above and, and that's what we're just going to read. Uh, I've jumped the gun a wee bit. It says, he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. He set him. Okay? 
like we, we just heard, this is not visitation. We, oh, I'd love to get into secret place. I'd really need, I've got needs. I've got needs. Lord, I'm coming in. Here I am. I know you've not heard from me for a while, but I need you. Amen? We, I'm visiting, Lord. Knock, knock, knock. Here I come. I know, as, my face will be familiar. I know I haven't been for a while. No, 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 folks. He that dwelleth. He that dwelleth. Not he that visits. It's not visitation. It's habitation. You are an inhabitant. You, sorry, let me say it again. You are an inhabitant. Not a visitor. If you're a visitor, then that's why you've got problems that you're not solving. Amen? I'm not saying that if you're an inhabitant, you won't have problems. What I'm saying is, you're in the place where all the solutions are. Set him. See, Jesus isn't visiting. The, oh, Lord, that's me. I'm raised from the dead now. I'm paying you a wee visit. Then I'm off on my holidays. Jesus rose because there was a place appointed. Now, he had that place before he came to earth. It's his eternal place at the right hand. Remember, David said, that the, the, I saw the Lord at Yahweh's right hand. A thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, David had a vision of Jesus. Didn't necessarily know his name was Jesus, but he knew who he was. He said, that's my Lord. We think speak, uh, confessing Jesus as Lord is New Testament. Well, David did it a thousand years before anyone else. And when he did it, God made him a king. If you confess Jesus as Lord, what's God going to make you? I did that when I was a Christian. I did that when I first got saved. Well, you should be doing it every day. If it had the power to regenerate you and take you from the old Adamic life into the new creation in Christ, what's it going to do for you now you are a new creation? We talk a lot about identity. We do it in college, don't we? And a lot of people, when they talk about identity, you need to know who you are in Christ. I believe that. I believe that. I preach that. But identity isn't just knowing who you are in Christ. It's not knowing just who you are. It's knowing whose you are. Amen? It's knowing, a lot of people know whose they are, but they don't know who they are. And some people want to concentrate on who they are, but they don't want to concentrate on who's they are. And, and that's people that, oh yeah, I've got power, I've got power, I've got power, I can cast out devils, I can blah, 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 blah. But they don't want to submit to the Lordship. <coughs> anyway, that's another sermon. Look what it says. Raise them from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. That's wonderful. Jesus is, oh, Jesus is at God's right hand. It's amazing. Fire above. Brand these two words into your consciousness, brothers and sisters. Far above, not just above, not barely above, not just bobbing on the surface. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. If you want to call it the angelic realm, he's far above all the angels, good or bad. Even the good ones, he's far above. 
far above all principality and power. The principalities and powers of the evil realm of Satan that fell with him, the demons, the minions that are under him, Satan, him, all of them, he's far above them. So you and I have no right to live a life where we don't know that and we don't implement that in our thinking. Where it's, everything's a battle. And I remember way back in the 80s, and I was part of it myself, there was this big trend and craze of spiritual warfare. <laughs> spiritual warfare. Fighting the principalities. And a lot of people just a lot of people just get sidetracked with that and took it to extremes. And life became a constant war with the devil. Amen? Let me ask you a question right now. How much warring is Jesus doing with the devil today? He's far above. Isn't he? Now, there's a fight of faith. But that fight of faith isn't that you and I have to go up every day, walk up and down. You know, remember we used to get all these people, I've walked all over the town, I've covered every street. I've bound the devil. I've bound all these demons. So now we can go out and preach the gospel because every demon in our wee village is bound. It was mental Nintendo these people were doing. It wasn't. He's far above friends. Okay? I'm not saying you don't resist the devil. I'm not saying there isn't a, a, that we don't war with principalities and powers, what I'm saying is we need to get out of that warfare mindset and into the victory mindset where everything is battling demons, demons under every bed, you know. And, and, and I have to say this, you missed your bus. That was the devil. The devil made me miss my bus. It, the devil's resisting me. He made me miss my bus. Or you go to uh, Morrison's uh, to buy something and they were all sold out. That was a devil, you know. Or, you know, you, you, you go into your house and you look over at your neighbor and she doesn't wave back to you. That's a devil. She didn't wave to me. Everything's a devil. Friends, we're living far above. He's far above. And the Bible says we're in Christ and he's in us. And if you really believe that and have a consciousness of that, then what it means is, if he's far above, you're far above. He's seated far above. He's set at God's right hand. He's sitting at God's right hand, and he's far above. All power, principality, might, dominion, everything. And then verse 22 says, and has put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things. No. We missed out the last three words. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church or for the church. Are you the church today? Are you God's ecclesia? In other words, he's not in that function and in that position for himself alone, for his own uh, glory, if you like, or his own esteem. He has... The glory. He has the esteem. He has the honor. He's far he's exalted far above and we worship him. But he's not just doing it for himself, he's doing it for you and I. He's in that position because he says, I've got a family, 
I've got a body and that body needs victory and they need to be part of my victory and they need to be in me and I need to be in them so that when I'm far above, they're far above. And you need to stop seeing yourself as under. Let me just tell you that the only thing you're under is God the Father. Amen? Because you're seated with Christ. He, he doesn't eat. I mean, we, obviously we, we bow the knee to Jesus and the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Yes, of course. But what I mean by that is, is that we're not under the circumstances. Oh, under the circumstances, Pastor, you need to understand. No, I don't. If you're a Christian, you're above the circumstances. If you're in Christ, you're above the circumstances. Sometimes we need to get rough with other people and rough with ourselves when they start giving you their litany of woes. You don't understand what's happened to me. I don't need to. You're far above. Now, yeah, it might sound heartless. It may even sound trite. But let me just tell you, it's Bible truth. It's the Word of God. Amen? And if, you're, if he's far above, and he's far above all things for you as the ecclesia, then that means all things are under your feet as well as his, because you're in him. If you're in him, that means that everything under his feet is under your feet. Amen? Which is his body, the church, the ecclesia, is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Do you know what that means? He's not full unless he's full in you. He's not full in himself. doesn't want to be. He's full because of you are the manifestation. The Bible says you are his flesh and his bone in the earth today. You're all the Jesus some people are going to meet. Now, just a few verses later in chapter 2, I want to show you this. I know we know these scriptures. We'll look at them quite a bit here. Verse 6. Well, let's read from verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, <coughs> for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, or has made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Are you saved by grace this morning? Amen. Let me just say this. You're not an old sinner saved by grace. You're a saint of God. You once were an old sinner. Sinner is not your identity anymore. Because here's why. If you were still a sinner by identity, you couldn't be seated with him. That makes sense. It's not wrong to say, I, I, I was a sinner saved by grace. But to go, I'm, I'm just an old sinner. I'm an old sinner. Well, get saved. By grace. Identity is who you are, and identity is whose you are. Saint means set apart, sanctified, made holy. What were you made holy by? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if you keep still talking, you know, I don't like these people. It's going to be a, a wee Bill McMurdo rant here. Not had this one for a while, but I enjoy it. But you get saved. Some, no, no you're, you're, not, you're a sinner. Someone comes along. How's life? Oh, it's terrible. I've got the answer. You're unhappy, you're miserable, you're bogged down by guilt and shame. Get saved. Turn on to Jesus. Yes, amen. I'm having some of that. Amen. So you get saved. And then you start going to church. And, it's, and then you might get filled with the Spirit. Shack a window. 
But then you start to struggle. Then the sky isn't always blue and the grass isn't always green. And, and then it gets a wee bit, oh, it's hard being a Christian. Aye, 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 aye. You know why it's hard being a Christian? They tell you, eh, you're not consecrated enough. You're not praying enough. You're not this, you're not that. Uh, you know. So in other words, born again didn't fix the problem. You understand? There's always levels that religious people want you, hoops to jump through, levels to go into, to make you perfect. You're not perfect. You're not perfect, right? Well, the Bible says, that you're perfect in him. Now, I understand there's a process. I understand you've got to renew the mind. And but instead of someone coming along and saying, well, you just need to keep renewing your mind. Just keep, it's, there's yet another hoop for you. But you have to understand. You understand what I'm trying to say? They always set the bar higher. But if, but if born again doesn't fix your problem, then your problem isn't what they tell you is. Your problem is you're listening to religious people. You have to affirm who you are and you have to affirm whose you are and you have to keep doing that till all the problems. And you're always going to have problems in life. You know, it doesn't matter, Billy Graham. And in fact, the, 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 the more you go on in Christ, sometimes the problems get more intense, don't they? How many here have been uh, stoned 39 times, several times? Amen. You, you ought to be thanking God that you, you know, you've not been stoned and left for dead. You ought to be thanking God that they don't have to let you down, you know, in a rope off the wall because they're going to kill you. That might happen here in Gamgad. He's put all things under his feet. We don't ignore the problems, but we have the victory. Look what it says here. You're saved by grace, verse 5. You were dead in sins. He's made you alive. Verse 6 is where I want to go because verse 6, Paul's saying, did you not get what I said about Christ being far above? Well, did you not understand the implications of that? Do you not know the ramifications of that? If Christ is far above, so are you. So he actually tells them just a few verses later, he says, he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's telling us that we're seated with him and that we are in him. He's covered the whole thing. It's not just Emmanuel, God is with us, wonderful, wonderful. But it's, it's, he's in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The one who is far above you're with him. You're, there's a seat for you. You know, if, if that's why I got these two chairs, these two seats. Because if Jesus comes and sits in one, I'm jumping in the other one. So I can say I'm seated together. Amen. You thought it was for two preachers. It's for the Lord and me. No. But you understand, that's a great illustration. You know, he's seated next to God the Father. He's at God's right hand. And he says, there's a throne for you. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know how you can squeeze us all in, the millions of us, but we're seated with him, together with him, but we're also in him. 
There's the mystery. You can look at it either way, but either way tells you the same thing. If you're with him and or in him, and we're both, we're far above. And all things are under our feet. The thing that plagues you and troubles you, it could be a health issue, a financial issue, a relationship issue, uh, an employment issue, whatever. Whatever issue you have, it's under your feet in Christ. Sometimes, just knowing that solves the problem. Other times, it gives you the, the encouragement and the faith to deal with the problem. Because if you're under the problem, oh, under, oh I'm, circumstances are, are pressing down on me. Well, rise above them and look down on them. And you look at your problems and go, they're under my feet. That doesn't make it easier. Well, keep, keep thinking till it does. Keep speaking until it does. I, I remember, I've shared this before. I remember I suffered for the Lord. I was a man of suffering. You know that old song, I am a man of constant sorrow. That was me. My favorite scripture in the whole Bible. I loved reading Job. Oh, I just feel that Job. Life throws all these things. And my favorite scripture, let me read it to you. It's in Lamentations. This was my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. I read it all the time. Well, that's me. That's me. That's me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Look at this. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. What a confession that is, isn't it? Now that's Jeremiah the prophet speaking, and then he gives the reasons, of course, because he's identifying with his people being judged. Okay, but when I was a young Christian, oh my goodness me, I loved this affliction. Imagine believing God for affliction, because you see, you get these pious religious ideas that. You know, and let me just tell you, suffering's part of the game. Because you, you can't really reign with him unless you suffer him. But it's what you suffer. We think suffering means bad health and, you know, all the bad things. No, suffering in this world means enduring the contradiction because he had to do it. Right? That you and I come in here and it's Shakamundo and everything's great. And then we go out there and somebody swears at you or parking in their place. or You understand? There is a suffering because of persecution. And we, and we ought to manfully bear that. But I, and this is what I'm trying to say to you is, I thought that I was a holy man because I suffered for Jesus until I realized a lot of my suffering was self-inflicted. And a lot of it was putting it on. A lot of it was accepting, you know, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that we're supposed to be victorious people over every circumstance and live above every circumstance, not, you know, have this pious thing of, oh, yes, I'm suffering for Jesus. Anyway, that's just telling you how nuts I used to be before the Lord sorted me out. There's a suffering that's self-inflicted. And Job had that. A lot of Job's suffering was self-inflicted. 
The Bible says, Job says, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. Job brought it upon him by his fear. Fear is an attractor. Fear is a magnet. Just like faith will, will attract the blessings of God, fear will attract the curses of Satan. And we've spoken about it a lot here. If you're the type of person that says, as soon as the flu season comes, I'm first to get it. Yeah, you are. Because you just received it by faith. But perverted faith. Amen? You're suffering the flu and it's self-inflicted. Anyway, that's not my message today. I don't know why I got off. Maybe that speaks to somebody. Anyway, watch this. He's talking here uh, about us in Ephesians. He says, we're seated with him in heavenly places. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've heard Bert and I speaking about this, about this, this mindset of a beggar. Here you are on earth, and you've got needs. It might be the nation, it might be personal needs, and you cry out to the Lord, Oh Lord, we beseech thee. Your prayers are from earth to heaven. And you're begging God to do something. Why dost thou not hear me, O Lord? Why, why, why is your ear closed to my plea, O Lord? And you and, and a lot of listen, I know a lot of people pray that way. And they're always loud. And they're always desperate. Now, if I shout through to the kitchen right now for Agnes to come. I need to raise my voice. Amen. Because she's far away, relatively. But if Agnes is sitting right next to me, do I need to shout at her to get her attention? Do I need to beg her to do something? No, I just lean over and I whisper. I could do with a cup of tea, dear. <laughs> but let me tell you, if you're seated with him, do you need to shout? Do you need to get his attention? Or do you just lean over? You know, I don't want to pray my words. I don't want to pray my will. I don't want to pray, my, listen, you know, Lord, I've crafted this prayer unto thee. I just say, Lord, what do you want me to say here? And I don't need to whisper. I just need to lean over. And he'll say, decree this. Speak that. Don't beg it from, heaven, from earth to heaven. Speak it from heaven to earth. And I can tell you right now by experience, I get a lot more results that way than I do when I used to do the balling and the squall. A lot of us think that prayer and intercession is begging God, bawling, squalling, crying out unto the Lord. Because we don't understand that we are physically, bodily wise on earth. But let me tell you, if you believe you're seated with him at the same time as your body walks the earth, I don't understand that mystery. Don't ask me to explain it with a, a chart or get into the physics of it. But the Bible, if the Bible says that you and I are seated with him together in heavenly places in Christ, 
then I know that there's a reality that I may walk this earth, my spirit, and I have a soul and I live in a body, but there's something, and I don't know the mystery, but I'm also seated with him at the same time. I'm in him. I'm with him. There's a, there's a chair in heaven with your name on it. And let me just say this, nobody else can say that. So if you don't make the decrees from the chair you're assigned to in heaven, other people might make them, but you're meant to make them. But I tell you this, if you say, if you imagine getting to eternity and they've come before the Lord, let's talk about how you got on, folks. <laughs> they say, you know, there's a chair for you and you never really sat in it. There was a chair for you and I had decrees and declarations and proclamations and a ministry assigned to you, a heavenly ministry. Oh, I, I can't wait to get to heaven my wee mansion over the hilltop, my wee cabin in the glory, and, and, and see what God's got for me there. He's got it for you now. It's called a seat, a throne. And Scripture is full of it. We're going to look at some of it today. Okay? So, but you have to understand, his throne he shares with you. That's not people pray to you, you're God. That's not what I mean. But he gives you assignments as you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Prayer assignments, decrees, declarations, proclamations, intercessions, petitions, giving of thanks, all of these things. I'm not saying you never ask God for anything. But what I'm saying is, where are you praying from? This position in Christ. Does the Father ever refuse Jesus anything? Why do you think Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it? He didn't mean that you tack on in the name of Jesus to your prayer. That's not what in my name meant. In my name meant that you are in my place of authority and power of attorney. That's what it meant. And, and I'm walking in you and you're walking in me. That's what that means. Let's look at some more scripture before we close. Psalm 29. Oh, this is New Testament stuff. This is deep New Testament. No, no, it's Bible stuff. It's all, listen. Where do you think the Bible writers got it from? Paul was the greatest student of his generation, which means he knew the Old Covenant, the Old Testament better than anybody else. Do you think? And he spoke about scriptures. So Paul wasn't reading, oh, I need to read my letter to 1 Corinthians here. He was reading the Old Testament. And understanding that Christ fulfilled many of the things Paul knew. Psalm 29 is one of them. Watch this. There's some amazing stuff here. Watch this. Give thanks unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. You're the mighty. You're the sons of God, the daughters of God. That's what that means. The mighty means those who are in the heavenly council with the Lord. Hands up if you're in the heavenly council with the Lord. Because if you're not, there's a simple solution. You must be born again. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. We've done that. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You know that holiness is beautiful. People talk about beauty. Yeah, I sometimes go online and I look at the media and then you get this picture of this woman who's pouted lips and standing, showing her body parts. I don't mean naked, you know, just maybe standing with a revealing dress on her. It's all this pouting thing they do now, isn't it? All the wee lads are taught to pout. <coughs> then, they get the, then they get their lips puffed up so they can pout more. Like Trootmouth. 
right? Botox, the Botox generation. We need more Botox to make us look more beautiful. And that's, that's just the women. But beauty is holy. A holy woman is the most beautiful woman. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. We're going to look at that. The God of glory thundereth. Wow, what a scripture. The God of glory thundereth. You need the King James, don't you, to bring that out. The God of glory thundereth. Sorry, I'm spluttering here. The God of glory thundereth. Uh, the Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and so on. But look at this in verse, uh, verse 10. The Lord sitteth, or Yahweh sitteth. Yahweh sits upon the flood. Now, Bible scholars are a little bit, uh, they've got different views about this. Whether it means the flood, but the, the Hebrew word used is the word used for Noah's flood. Um, but it can also mean just a great deluge. What it's trying to tell us here is that the Lord sits over something. And it says he sits over the flood, over the many waters. Bear that in mind because we're going to look at something else. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. Or the Lord is eternally king and he's, he's seated. God isn't pacing up and down. Jesus didn't go to God's right hand to do this. What are we going to do? Oh my goodness me. Have you seen the problems, Father? Holy Spirit, have you got any ideas? Chime in. Oh my goodness, I don't know. He's seated. He's sitting down. God the Father's sitting down. Jesus is sitting down. Why? Because they don't panic. That wonderful old hymn. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Amen? But uh, I always forget the next bit. I'll let you sing it. He's on the throne. Now, there's an element of that that, that I think that we sometimes, hey, God's in control. But he's in control because he's seated. People that are seated are at rest. Amen? I think that's someone appreciating the sermon. The Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Because he's seated, everything is okay. But it's only okay for us if we're in that place with him. If we're not in the secret place, if we're not in the throne room, if our consciousness is the problems here on earth and walking about and uh, you don't know what's happening in my life, or you don't know what's, oh, I've got, a, and all of a sudden you're in under the circumstances. But he's seated king forever over all circumstances, far above all things, far above principalities and powers and everything else. He's far above. Where are you and I? Because the invitation is to, is, it's not even an invitation. He's already positioned us there. But if you and I don't know it, it's like if you don't know the truth about divine healing, you might not, probably won't walk in divine healing. If you don't know the truth about victory over circumstances, sin, demons, you won't walk in it. 
You only, you're only set free by the truth you walk in and know, or the truth you know and walk in, if that makes sense. The voice of the Lord. He sits upon the flood. He sits king. He's over the many waters. Now, that, that's important. And, and I want to show you this. Uh, just, aye. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 51. You know, over in Revelation, the Bible says, in fact, let's just go to Jeremiah 51. Put your, put your thumb in that, if you don't mind. I'm going to show you something that's mind-blowing here. Revelation chapter 17, first of all. Keep, keep in Isaiah 51, sorry. I'm asking you to multitask here. Revelation 17. I used to preach this. I don't know, I've preached this so many times because it's vital for us to know that Revelation 17, the woman and the scarlet beast, there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials taught with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And then it tells us about how this harlot, mother of harlots, is over the many waters and, 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 and is really controlling the earth. Because look what it says in verse, uh, where's, where's, where's the verse? Verse 15. The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth. Now the whore, or the harlot, the prostitute, is sitting upon many waters. Are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues because the sea or the many waters spoken of in Scripture is a metaphor for what we would call the world system. Babylon. The Babylonian system. Amen? The system of Babylon, and it's telling us there is a principality and power and I, I've actually had the experience in the spirit of seeing this thing. It's a, it's, it's a very, very high-ranking angelic power. And I could get into details, and I won't, I won't. But this, this whore of Babylon, her harlot, the great harlot, the spirit of hoarders, whatever you want to call it, is sitting over the earth and dominating and controlling. Particularly the banking system. The financial system the mammon system, and all other kinds of things. And it's telling us that that's, that's the reality of planet Earth. Revelation says, talking last days, and then if you read Revelation 18, it says that Babylon has fallen, has fallen. In other words, this high-ranking principality falls down by the judgment of God. That's exciting, isn't it? But you and I are living under a lot of the influence of this Babylon, mystery Babylon. It has its tentacles in the church, our ecclesia, not our ecclesia, but ecclesiastical systems, apostate ones. It's in the woke agenda. It's in the New World Order, the, the Davos people and all that. 
the WEF, that's Babylon. The EU is a manifestation of Babylon. That's reality that you and I have to deal with. But if we believe what we've just read, we're far above that. And it says the Lord sitteth above that. See, you have to know who you are, you have to know whose you are, and you also have to know where you are. Far above. He sits above it. I'm going to say this. I don't think God's going to do anything about that Babylonian system, the mystery Babylon, the harlot that sits upon many wars, until you and I engage with it and open our mouths. Until you and I say, that's part of my job here. To pull down, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to pluck up everything that's of Babylon. He says, come out. First thing you need to do is come out of her. Come out of her, my people. You know that that means that some of God's people are in Babylon. And let me say this to you. If you come to the gathering, then I believe that God has been cutting Babylon off all of us. And the first thing is you need to be aware of it. Don't you hate it when you discover something of Babylon in your life? I do. He says, the Lord sitteth upon the flood. His voice is over the many waters. How is God's voice going to be released over the world system? Through you and I. Through you and I. I could, I could preach this all day long, but I don't have time to bring this to a close. Verse, Jeremiah chapter 51, that's where I told you to go. And then it says, verse 8, Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. How for her? He's talking about the fall of Babylon. Wow! Don't you know, the fall of Babylon is not a New Testament idea. It speaks about it quite a bit in the Old Testament. But look what it says, verse uh, 13. Oh thou, God is speaking to mystery Babylon here. I know the prophet Jeremiah is talking to literal Babylon, but as scholars will tell you, he says things that go way beyond literal Babylon that come into our day, our generation, our age, and speak about mystery Babylon. So when John's writing, oh, Babylon's for Babylon, Babylon, mystery Babylon, he knew Jeremiah. Oh, thou that dwellest upon many waters, that's Babylon, abundant in treasures, thine end is come and the measure of thy covetousness. Let me tell you what Babylon wants right now. Your blood. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. Babylon wants to own you. Have you heard that phrase of the WEF? You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Who's going to be happy owning nothing? They take, their, they take your car from you. Amen? Yes. And let me say, oh, it's all right, I own my house, I don't have a mortgage, I own my house. I'm going to tell you, stop paying your council tax and find out who really owns your house. You'll get your money in your bank account, if we say you can. You ever go into the bank and try to lift money? They tell you no. What's it for? It's my money. Does it matter? I want to go to the racetrack and blow it all. I want to go to the pub and drink it all. Or I want to give it all to Bill McMurdo. Or I want to give it all to Billy Graham. Does it matter? It's your money. What matters to them? I, don't, I, I keep hearing about people that have been told, you're not going to your money today. 
You think you own what you own under the freedom of the Lord. Babylon says, no, 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 no. Babylon is covetousness. Babylon wants every part of you, your soul. The Bible says that Babylon deals in the merchandise of souls, of men and women, your very life. Anyway, don't like talking too much about Babylon, but we need to know. And then look what it says. Your end has come, the measure of thy covetousness. Look at verse 16. This is, I mean, I'm probably not going to manage to cover all my notes here, so that doesn't matter, because I need to cover this part. Before we read this, just remember what we've heard today. He's seated far above. Far above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, every name that is named. That includes Babylon, mystery Babylon. That includes Lucifer himself. That includes all the minions of hell. That includes everything that you have to contend with. You will never have to contend with anything that isn't here on the earth. Because if you, if you left your body right now, you go to be with the Lord. You wouldn't have any battles. You wouldn't have any circumstances. Would you? All your trial, Jesus says, in this world, not in heaven. In this world, you'll have tribulation. So if you don't want to have tribulation, go to be with the Lord. But while you're here, you need to deal with it. And while you're here, you need to understand, he's, well, it's okay, because I've, he says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And I've lifted you far above it. It might buffet you. You might feel a sting. You might, oh, that's but if you live far above, a whole bunch of stuff that right now bogs you down and wipes you out won't do that because you know who you are and you know whose you are and you know where you are. But look what it says here. They'll close with us. Ah, time's good. I can go for another 45 minutes. Watch. Watch this. Um, <clears throat> verse 16. When he uttereth his voice. We just read the voice of the Lord is over many waters. We just read the voice of the Lord flashes like, well, it's in that psalm, flashes like fought lightning. We just read the voice, what the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord can break rocks. The voice of the Lord is the most powerful thing. And it says here, when he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. That's not talking about the many waters that Babylon sits in. How many people, I was on that ferry yesterday to, to Millport. And it's one of these roll-on, roll-offs. So they put the sides up. And really, the, the boat's just, just above sea level. Okay? But can you imagine if it was a massive wave? What would happen to the boat? It, it would fall. Fall over. Fall into the sea. You see, the Babylon is going to fall into the sea. Now, what's going to make something that sits on, on waters fall into the sea? Many waters pouring on it. Understand. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, 
and bringeth forth the window of his treasures. You go and read Jeremiah 50 and 51 in conjunction with Revelation 17 and 18. You'll see what I'm talking about. Babylon will fall and God's going to do it. But how's he going to do it? How is he going to manage us? What, what is his method? What is his means? What is his agency? And we'll look at it now. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. Sometimes you read the King James and you think, what's that mean? But even some of the newer translations. So if you get into the Hebrew, let me tell you what the Hebrew says. He causeth the kings to ascend from the ends of the earth. The Hebrew word means king or captain or ruler or governor or somebody who is over. The strong's word means kings or chiefs. He causes the kings to ascend. That's how God's going to bring Babylon down. He's going to cause kings to ascend. Do you know, uh, the covenanters used to prophesy about the fall of Babylon. And they said it would happen in our generation. They said there's a glory coming. And they said it would come from Scotland. The ends of the earth, folks. The ends of the earth didn't mean just any old place far away. There was a specific meaning to the ends of the earth that they used to use, and it meant the north part of Europe, mainly the British Isles, and mainly Scotland. The Romans called it Ultima Thule. The Romans built walls, didn't they, to divide Scotland from the lower part of the UK. And we always thought it was to keep the pits out, keep the, the barbarians north from invading England. But they actually discovered it was the opposite. They didn't want people going north because the Romans regarded Scotland as the holiest place on earth. What did the Romans know that many Christians don't know? He causes kings to ascend, to rise. That's, and I want to say this, that's what was in that message that we, with the tongues and interpretation. God is saying to us, he's inviting us today to rise. It's not that we're not already there. Rise in our consciousness to understand. Here's what the Lord would say. I have a purpose for my saints in Scotland. I have a purpose for my saints in the end of the earth. And that purpose is to rise into the consciousness of knowing that you're seated far above. And from that place, make prophetic declarations. From that place, make intercessions. From that place, make decrees and proclamations and declarations and speak forth my will and purpose in the earth. And that will and purpose in the earth is the fall of Babylon. Oh, is God going to date for hearing Scotland, man? Aye, yes. Aye, aye, yes. He's always intended to. That's why the greatest of saints have always come from Scotland. And not just Scotland. I'm talking about the whole of the British Isles, Scotland, Ireland, uh, certainly England. But what I'm trying to say to you, I'm trying to inspire you today to understand 
that we have a purpose in our generation. If you believe in our generation, we're going to see the, the fall of Babylon. We sing a song, one of the meetings we go to, we're going to see old Babylon fall. It's a great song. We need to believe that we'll see it in our generation. Because it's the same thing as Isaiah chapter 60. The sons and daughters will come. The ships of Tharsis will go first. Amen? We're in the Bible. We're in the Bible. Sister, Sister Pearl prayed it. Here in Tharsis Street, the ships of Tharsis will come. For, be, we're going to be ascending up here, folks. There's going to be gatherings all over Scotland and the British Isles, maybe Europe. Okay? All from this place, sending people out. I'm not saying other churches are not going to be involved. I'm not, we're not one of these people. It's only us. The Lord's going to bless us because we're his people. We're, we're not his people. We're not like that, folks. But we do believe God has a purpose for us here in the gathering. We do believe God has a purpose for us here in this place. We do believe God has a purpose for you who attend here for the gathering in the place you go to. Is that, if that makes sense. We're all here gathered for one purpose, to see God, to position for a mighty move of God in Scotland. And, but we have to know who we are first. We have to know whose we are. And we have to know where we are. I think that's really what Bert has been teaching as well, that we need to understand where we're praying from. Are we begging God, you know, under the table, hiding in a cave? Oh, Lord! Lord, send the rapture now. Or are we saying, no, we, we rule and reign with Christ? Not in an arrogant way. In fact, when you fully understand this, and I need to close this now, when you fully understand this, you understand that um, this makes you humble, it doesn't make you proud. Because none of this is our doing. It's all him. He did it all. He, he, he was seated at the Father's right hand, having overcome all principalities and powers. And he said, come up, come on, up you come. You can share this. It's going to be fun. Oh, yes, I can't wait till eternity. Well, eternity begins now, doesn't it? We're in eternity. We're in time. We're in the temporal realm, but we're also in the eternal realm. Amen? Anyway. You know, you think this is new. I've got a book through there from the, 19, sorry, the 1800s called Throne Life. And that's what the guy's talking about. This is not some new, oh, ah, well. Okay, it's just that not every believer and not every generation has had that. Some people walked in it. Smith Wigglesworth, John Lake, these guys, they walked in it. They knew who they were in Christ. And when you know who you are, let me just say the signs and wonders follow. So you and I, the task for us is to increase our understanding, our enlightenment, our revelation to the reality of this, not just the theory of it, but the reality of it, that we know that God has raised us up to be kings and priests and to rule and reign over the kingdom of darkness. Pull down old Babylon and see the harvest that's out there. Where's the harvest? Let me just say this to you. If you're going fishing, where are the fish? They're in the sea. They're in the many waters. 
So if we want to see the fish on the decks, then we have to see the sea give up our harvest. And that will happen as old Babylon falls. Amen. And we will see it. And, and we will, we are, why will we see it? Because we're seated upon it. We're seated over it. I'm going to leave it there, folks. Or else I'll just keep going.